Welcome to Destination Church Belfast's weekly podcast. For more information about our church, you can find us on the web at www.destinationchurchbelfast.co.uk. You can also join us every Sunday morning at 10.30am at Mosley Pavilion. Now for the message. So Dennis uh, dug out most of this message and basically I've uh, got my hands on it with his kind permission and made it my own. So it's great to be able to communicate this to you. Are you finding benefit in it so far? Has it made you aware of some of the dynamics that are present in worship and some of the dynamics that are present within yourself? Like the awkwardness that you feel and is everybody going to look at me and if I put my hand in there or don't put my hand in there or carry the TV pose or dance or shout, going to be so self-conscious. Are you starting to be aware of those things? Hopefully you're starting to find as well that the Spirit is just gently bringing things to your attention because He wants you to be free um, and able to worship Him as only you can. So here we prioritize His presence in everything that we do. And we're discovering that worship has a destination, and that destination is the presence of Christ among us. Psalm 23, verse 22, verse 3. Anybody know it or fruit yet? Silence. You are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. So basically, when we worship, He comes. When you praise Him in spirit and truth, tell Him who you know Him to be, He comes. He is enthroned on the praises of His people. So when you worship God, he is captivated when you're telling him what you know to be true about him. And my wife said, I've told this far too many times, but a couple of years ago, my son, who was about three or four at the time, sitting in front of his mummy, starts singing, Mummy, I love you. You're so special. You're so wonderful. Claire's like, (laughs) she's moved because of his heart for her and his communication of his heart to her. So when you worship him, no matter how much you fumble through it, how much you're thinking, well, what I do, I really think about you. When you tell him that, he is moved. He's a dad. And sometimes we, we think that it's this complicated, difficult, how could he possibly be like that? He invented dads. He's the best dad that there ever is. I'm sorry if you didn't have one that was great, but you do have one that's great. So when you worship him, He comes, he's captivated, you've got his attention. So tell him what you know to be true about him. Worship is expressed in a worship service and also then in how we live our lives. And a definition of worship is the endeavor of freely giving an expression of our love to God. We want to grow in our liberty of expression to him and it should be unrestricted and it should be unrestrained. So you want to have your freedom and your liberty to worship him as only you can. Mark 12:30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It's your personal expression of love to God from your whole being. And then last week, we were looking at understanding the dynamics of worship, and we touched slightly on the dynamics of relationship, <laughs> the complex dynamic of relationships. So last night, we had friends over. We're standing in the chippy. It was another couple and they're fairly recently married. We're standing in Mosley Chippy, and I'm going to pay. We invited them up, so what do you do? You're going to pay, right? So I notice him awkwardly bring out some money, and uh, he, he go, comes towards me, and I said, no, no, we're, we're taking care of this tonight. And you go, 
no, really, really, will you not take something? And I said, are you fearful because your wife's going to ask you, did you offer to pay for this? He was like, yeah, pretty much. I said, can you imagine if I took your money, what my wife would say to me? So understanding those little dynamics can make a massive difference. Can I have an amen, those who are married or in relationships? So understanding the dynamic that is present in worship makes a massive difference. There are five phases. So there's the call to worship. So it's an invitation to you, are you going to choose to respond? So that's up to you. The next one is the engagement phase of worship. Here we're not singing about God, we're singing to Him. So it shifts from being somewhere out there to, it's you and me. So you tell Him at that point, do your Isaac, you're so lovely, you're so special. And God goes, go. The next one is the expression phase. And here we need a variety of biblical expressions of worship to express our love to God. And then after that, the fourth phase is the visitation phase. We don't worship to get him to come, although it's great when he does. It's a byproduct of our genuine and spirit and truth worship to him. He comes, he begins to work among us. Salvations, repentance, deliverance, holiness, healing, release of spiritual gifts, it all starts to flow. And then in the transformation phase, we are changed. How many of you have found that when you're in worship, you get right with them? And it doesn't have to be. Why is it always so dramatic? You know, I was in worship and I had this problem. And I just was utterly changed and transformed. Sometimes it can be I woke up and I was in bad form. And I realized that I just said something that I shouldn't have. And I just had this thought last night and it just annoyed me. And in worship, it just brought me back to where I should be. So when you're in worship, you're changed and transformed. So if any of you have those testimonies which are the dramatic life utterly different, sometimes people trip over that because they think that's a normative experience. The normative experience is it's little choices step by step by step. And if you're in that place where it's not all changing like that, the click happens at the end of the process. Does that make sense? So it's the little by little by little. So when we worship him in spirit and in truth and we engage him and he engages us and it reciprocally escalates, then we're changed and transformed. So today we're going to look at who gets what from worship. We talked a little bit about this uh, before, that this is for God. It's not for us, although we benefit from it. When we worship, we worship for him. So I want to look at uh, that there are two trees in the garden. You might think, where is he going with this? Well, I'm going to answer that. So there's always two trees, and you've got to choose which one you're going to eat from. There's the tree of life, and then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Philippians 4, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think on such things. So we're only always going to have two options. And the good of the tree of knowledge of good and evil has always done more damage than the evil bit. Sometimes we make assessments on things and the assessments are good, but they're not of the tree of life. And when we choose to worship him, we are choosing to eat from the tree of life. So the good of the tree has done more damage than the evil. And the fruit of this tree is sticky and messy. This is Genesis 3.3. You must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will surely die. And it was the second look by Eve which caused her to listen and to yield to the voice of the serpent that caused this comment. This is Genesis 3.6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food 
pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it. So you need to know which tree you're eating from. And how do you know? Well, you know by the fruit. And by the fruit is what it produces. Matthew 7.20, by their fruit you will recognize them. So when we worship, we are choosing the tree of life. Whether you come in and you're tired, you're sick, you're frustrated, you're hassled, can't be bothered, I don't feel like worshiping today, I just don't feel like it. Well, you're munching on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Tired, I'm tired, I maybe need to rest. Well, that seems awfully good. Why should I worship? If I worship, I'm just going to exhaust myself. I'm going to wreck my throat that's already wrecked. It's good, I should rest. Or there's life. I'm going to worship you no matter what. How I feel, what's happened to me, what state my body's in, I'm going to choose to worship you. So when we choose worship, we choose life. This is from Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. That's a bad situation. Yeah? Anybody had those? It just is all going piton, right? Everything is going wrong. (laughs) And then the prophet says, Yet I will exalt the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Now, does it sound like he's clinically insane? Maybe it does. Or maybe he's aware of a dynamic that is present that if he accesses the tree of life, he will not get what he finds in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So when we choose to worship in the presence of all of these negative circumstances, we choose something profound that is going to bring healing to us and add to us in a way that going into those circumstances never could. So it's even though, yet I will. Are you ready for a gardening analogy? Anybody who's never here, or first time being here as a gardener, am I on my own? Used to subscribe to Gardener's World. I have no shame. So in in our front garden, we have a couple of cotoneasters. Do you know what a cotoneaster is? Small shrub, all them going out, I'm not even in. You just switched off, I'm thinking about the match now. So cotoneaster, I don't even know if there's a match on today, I'm sorry. There's a, a shrub and it has very small leaves, but it has really, really red fruit. So it's really, really like it looks like it's on fire whenever it's, um, whenever it's uh, fruited. <laughs> Here's what they say about it. The California Poison Control Center lists cotoneasters as level four toxic plants. Ingesting their poisonous parts affects the heart, liver, kidney or brain. It's not good news. Cotoneasters, leaves, berries, and flowers all contain cyanogenic glycosides, which basically is, what are they? It's like cyanide. So these toxins convert to cyanide during digestion, but cotoneasters, low concentrations of them mean an adult would have to eat a large amount to suffer serious symptoms. <laughs> You're all looking at me like, what? What did you say there? So the fruit on the cotoneaster looks really, really good. It's really accessible. It's there all the time. Looks really juicy and looks really tasty. If you as an adult eat it, it'll make you a little bit sick. If you eat enough of it, it's going to kill you. Looks really, really good. It's accessible. It's right there. I'm really hungry. Just feel a wee bit sick. Now, in the same bit of our garden, we have a cherry tree. And the cherry tree only fruits at a certain time of year. And its leaves are beautiful and waxy. 
this is where I get passionate and you're like, I don't get this. Whenever you want to find its fruit, you've got to hunt for it. And often it looks like there's no fruit on it at all. But whenever you start to dig into it, there's the most juicy cherries in there. They're not going to kill you. Do you see what happens so much in our life? There's always two trees. One's accessible, it looks plentiful, it looks quite attractive. You might just get a wee bit sick. But if you continue to eat from that thing, that thing's going to kill you. So you've got to be aware that in your life, there are always two trees. Are you going to hunt for the fruit that's worth eating and is going to benefit you? Or are you just going to take the easy route, which is going to slowly kill you? Yeah, well, that doesn't really affect me that much. Come and see me in 10 years' time if you've still eaten from it. So what are you going to do? The fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil is easy to find and is widely accessible. It'll kill you. But the fruit of the tree of life is often hidden. It'll take time and intention to find, but it will bring you life. And they are both present all the time. So when the call comes to worship, what are you going to do? When circumstances go pitong, what are you going to do? Are you going to hold your thoughts or are you going to let your thoughts hold you? So there's two things that can happen. This is a practical example. You have negative circumstances, right? And it's a, it's a pattern of negative circumstances. Anybody has any of them? And you think, why does this keep happening to me? It just, why is, it just, why, why does it keep happening to me? If they would just stop doing that, that wouldn't keep happening to me. I'm a good person. It's their fault. Why does it keep happening? It just, <laughs> You wait for the negative circumstances to pass. Everything's okay for a wee while and then it comes around again. Katoni Aster. Really loads of fruit all the time. Looks kind of nice. Doesn't hurt that much. Just so hard. Why is it so hard? I go, Andrew, it's really hard. It just keeps happening. And he goes, there, there. Well, Andrew doesn't go there, there. But somebody else goes, there, there. Oh, oh, Colin, you deserve so much more. You're such a good person, Colin. Why did these circumstances keep happening? <laughs> The other response, circumstance happens, it's happening as a pattern, right. Why does this keep happening? Same question, different spirit. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil, tree of life. What is it that I need to do to change so that these circumstances can actually stop happening? Well, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they, if they didn't do that to me, if that hadn't happened to me, then, then I wouldn't be in this position. Tree of life, why does that keep happening? What is it that I can actually change to make a difference? The next bit then. Well, what's God up to in this circumstance? Why has God forsaken me again? I can't feel him close to me. He's left me all on my own. Step into tree life. What's God after? What's he doing? He hasn't left me. He said he would never leave me. So what's going on inside of me? What is that? Tree of life. The fruit's harder to find, but it is worth finding when you get it. We miss that in the spiritual life, we think that everything should happen like that. Whereas when it comes to anything else in our lives, anything of worth takes time and it takes effort. There are always two trees in your garden. God has planted you in the place of his delight. You get to choose which tree that you're going to eat from. I actually am going to talk about worship today as well. 
So we get to choose and when we worship, we choose life. And if we can step in here and get over ourselves, I guarantee you that in your life, you will recognize him when he comes and you will be able to step over the negative circumstances, the negative patterns, the thoughts that assail you and you will be able to find the fruit of the tree of life that's present wherever you are and whatever you're doing. So the primary purpose of worshiping God is for God's glory and for his honor. This is Matthew 16, 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. That's what Jesus says. So whenever you lose your life, somehow it would be easier if it was a one-time death. But we have got to die little by little by little. And not negative death as in, oh, well, you just died of your dreams. It's a choosing him over choosing yourself. And it's a place of surrender and it happens little by little by little. Luke 4, 8 says, And Jesus answered and said to him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So if you come out of worship and you're saying, well, I didn't get anything out of worship today, you missed the point. It's not for you. It's for him. Our culture is bent on getting something in return. And real worship is not self-centered. 1 Peter 4.11 Whoever speaks, let him speak as if it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so by the strength that God gives him. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. So it belongs to him. So when we worship him, we are giving him what is rightfully his. And the Westminster Shorter Catechism, anybody remember that? Says that the object of worship for man is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So what does God receive from our worship? Well, he receives our love and our thanksgiving for who he is and what he's done for us. Does this mean that he needs and desires our love and worship from us? Absolutely. He really, really wants it. He's not cold. He's not clinical. He's right here and he's waiting. And what is the natural byproduct of man worshiping God? As we express our love to God and worship, the result is that we open ourselves up to receive what he has for us. So even though the purpose of it is not that we get, you can't help but get. It's who he is. Anything you, you give to him will always come back to you in return. So you get to know him better, you've got powerful fellowship, and you begin to understand what his will for your life is. We get separated from the obstacles between us and him, that happens in worship. You recognize that there's something that's come in between. Sometimes before worship, I wouldn't even tell you that there's something not quite right. And it's in the middle of worship. I'm like, whoa, I didn't realize that that was there. Let's move that out of the way. We receive an impartation of the righteousness of Christ who is the spotless one. We realize that Jesus died and sorted it all. And we experience transformation and we become like him. And Jesus releases the kingdom upon us. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So if you feel that you're not getting anything out of worship, then you need to identify your uh, motive for worship. What's your aim? Is it for him or is it for you? And is your chief aim to bless God? This is Psalm 103, 1-5. 
Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and don't forget all his benefits. You see? So you praise him, and you can't help but find benefit. It's like if you go to, I used to, when I went to see my nanny, she always tried to find ways to give me money. I was more than happy to find those ways. But she would have given me money anyway, because I came to see her. So he's sitting there, but like Santa alone lets a poor comparison, but you know, he's got gifts that he wants to give us, and it's by us coming to him because we want to come to him because it's all about him that we can receive those gifts. But he is looking for ways to bless us. So when we give him everything out of ourselves to worship and tell him who he is to us, you cannot forget all the benefits that they are. So this is Psalm 103 and a wee bit further on. The benefits are. He forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, and satisfies your desires with good things. Can you hear that? You've got desires within you. And most of the time it feels like, well, as Christians, we shouldn't have any desires. Really? 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 He wants to satisfy them with good things. You're probably looking in a million and one other places than to him. And it's not quite cutting it. But when you go to him, he knows what your desires are because he forged them and created them within you and he will supply them to you. He crowns you with love and compassion, satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So if you're tired or you're sick, is your rest to be found in falling asleep on the sofa? Or is it to be found in getting in front of your God and going, you are everything that I need. Do you see what happens? Are you all with me? Falling asleep ever so slightly or are we there? So he's got everything that we need. And we've been taught that we've got to find everything that we need for ourselves. When God wants us to find him, we don't chase down what we need, we chase down him. And in going after him, whoever goes for the kingdom first, everything else follows in priority after him. Okay. Well, I get it. Hopefully you get it too. So I've been married for 12, 13 years. And okay, I really love Claire. <laughs> I'm sure you're glad to hear that. I really do. Everybody's relieved. Whew, that's good. Because I love her, I want to learn to love her better. It's not right. If you can do something, you want to learn to do it even better. And when you love somebody, you would like to learn to love them even better. I'm learning to choose her. I'm learning to prefer her. Don't get it right all the time. Learning to put her first. And it's right that I do that. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. <laughs> what did Jesus do for the church? He died. Everybody box against the wife, submit to your husbands. That's a little bit easier than the one who has to die. I have to die. And actually, do you know what? I think I want to. Because I love her. Now, in my choice to die for her, and you've taught me so much about what that means, in my choice to die for her, what happens? Resurrected. Who feels the benefits of that? 
Bhutte. So I want to choose to die for her. Not that I don't vocalize what I think. <laughs> I can learn to do that in a better way. It's not that I don't have my own opinions. It's not that I somehow just sit there and, and don't say, Claire, you know, I'm not sure that that's right. Or, you know, you hurt me when you said that. Or, thanks for doing that. It's not that I don't get to be myself. It's that I don't put me first. And I choose her and I learn to love her. Love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, is not proud, isn't self-seeking, it isn't rude, doesn't delight in evil, isn't easily angered, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, never, ever, ever fails. But in the process of me doing that and dying, my life is so much better. I'm much happier. I feel cleaner. I feel more content. My wife's more content. My children are more content. When they're not more content, we're learning to do that together and sort it all out together because I'm choosing to die for, to myself, to live for her. And what do you know? We all win. So in this process of God calling us out of where we're comfortable and say, come on, Lindsay, come on, oh, come on. Lindsay, I've got this for you today. Oh, I don't know, I'm happy here. Let's see if I don't know about that. All right, I really love you, so I'm going to go. And in the process of the going and the dying, we find that actually what we wanted all along was present in us not yielding to what we wanted. Go figure. To God, a day is like a thousand years and a, day, and a thousand years is like a day. Graham Cook said, how do you work with a guy like that? You just learn to. So in this process of us dying to ourselves to worship him, we find who we really, really are. Because I love Claire and learning to love her, the benefits benefit me because I'm loving her the way she should be loved and it's beyond explanation. It costs me everything and that I get everything back. You get what you pay for. So when your motive is correct, you can expect your mind to be renewed in worship with a French sense of God's beauty and his majesty. And you'll be changed. As you see him and you lift the veil, you cannot help but be changed. You learn to be intimate and self-disclosing in worship. We've talked quite a lot about this, and I've read this verse so many times. This is 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we all, with unveiled faces, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory to glory, just as from the Lord he is the Spirit. So as you lift up the things that cover you, Whatever difficulty it is, whether it's tiredness, whether it's a sense of insecurity or fear, as you lift that up, you see him as he is, and as you see him, you're changed. And intimacy and transparency in worship can be a hurdle. So you've got to learn to be self-disclosing, and it is imperative for your spiritual transformation. The Greek word for veil means to hide and conceal. And as we turn to him, then that's lifted and that's removed. And most often we're hidden from ourselves. So you'll find that in worship you become aware of something that's been a blocker between you and he or a veil between you and he that you didn't notice was there. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So we don't know the full extent of who we are or our potential. With unveiled faces we self-disclose our stuff. We bring our pain, trouble, sin with us Lift our veil, he comes to us, forgives us, heals us, and matures us. 
If you've got trouble and you're coming this morning and you're just like, I really just don't feel even worthy to be here, you want to come and worship him because it's there that you'll sort it out. We've got to learn to become transparent in our worship and we move from glory to glory to glory. The glory is the very nature of God and as we experience it in worship, we're transformed. And it's about the reality of real relationship. You've got to be honest. If you're struggling, be honest. Hopefully you're really getting that. Be real with him in spirit and in truth, not in soul and in pretense, in spirit and in truth. And it's about experiencing the power of God's love. So how do we enter into this intimate self-disclosing worship? Well, we worship in spirit, which means to be born again. We are born again by the Spirit. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We invite and allow the Holy Spirit to move upon us and among us. Are you aware of this? When he comes to you, he often waits for you to go, okay, tell him, I'm all right with you doing that. I would ask you if we were meeting, are you okay? Would you be all right if I maybe shared some thoughts and things? And I'll wait for you to say, yeah, that's all right with me. If you say, I'm not so sure, I would go, that's all right. Why do I do that? Because he does. So whenever you sense that he's close to you, you say to him, I'm always like, it's so good you're here. Whatever you want to do. All right, whatever you want to do. Tell him it's a relationship. So you give him your permission. Seems ridiculous, doesn't it? He didn't create you that somehow he would disrespect you and do whatever he wants. He created you to love you and for you to love him in return. And he's not going to force that from you. He's going to be respectful to you. Now, if you've prayed the dangerous prayer of whatever it takes, (laughs) all the best with that. I would encourage you to pray that. But always say to him, I'm okay, that's all right. You come in, yeah, that's no problem. Give him your permission. Invite him and allow him to move upon you. The result is the Holy Spirit moves on your redeemed spirit and worship ascends to God who is spirit. And to worship in truth means to worship according to the word of God. John 17, 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. God has given truth, Jesus, and in the principle of his word, and we must worship in truth for our worship to be received. Acknowledgement of our personal experience yielded to the word of God. So what happens if one or both of those elements are missing? Well, worship doesn't really happen. It just becomes religious. It's empty form and it's ritualistic. It's devoid of intimacy and devoid of relationship. With just the word, worship is empty and legal. And with the spirit and no word, worship is emotional and fanatical. And when we bring the two together of those core elements of spirit and truth, the result is God receives what he needs, which is our love and adoration and desires, and we receive what we need, which is God touches our lives and changes us. The kingdom is released, and we are equipped with power. Does that sound like a good outcome? You all don't seem wildly excited about that. That's okay. Hopefully it's just a tiredness, or it's because it's been so profound, you're like, I don't know what to do with this. What is it that he just said? Would you guys come and join me? So we have got to get ourselves in the place where we're done with this just being some empty form of religious activity. We want to be in the place where we're going, 
listen, God says that transformation is possible. Maybe some of you have never seen that. I dare you to believe that it actually is. I dare you to come to him and say, do you know what? I didn't like that that happened in my life. When that happened, that broke me in two. And to be honest, it felt like you left me. Do you think at that point he's going to go, get out? Any good father, I'm learning, I have a nine-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son, and I am learning that any good father will see beyond the behaviors to what's going on. You think that you're kicking off and you're shouting or you're swearing or your addictive behaviors or your coldness. Do you think he's going to say to you, get out? Or do you think he's going to say, come here? Do you think he's afraid of you? Do you think he's easily offended? Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It isn't self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't rejoice in the evil. It rejoices in the truth. Always protects. Always protects. Do you not think that he wants to rescue you from the thoughts, feelings, attitudes, influences, activities, habitual experiences, addictions? Do you not think he loves you more than the crap that's clinging to you? That's the father that you have. Not a father that's going, clean yourself up. When you've cleaned yourself up, you can come into my presence. No, he's going, just bear with me one second. I'm going to get the power hose. Would you stand with me? Holy Spirit, we, uh, well, I recognize your presence here this morning. I recognize the, the Spirit of the Father this morning. I ask this morning that there would be fundamental change from our understanding as to who you are. That we would be done with this cleaning ourselves up. That we would be done with trying to present ourselves in some pretty fashion like we're some three-course meal that wants to be eaten. God, we come raw as we are. We come confused, hurting, frustrated, not wanting to change. We come just as we are. And I would encourage you to exercise faith this morning, which is lean into what I've just communicated, that you are loved regardless of where you find yourself, what you think of yourself, or what you believe to be true. So as always, every time that there's a message, there's an invitation for ministry. And here's some questions to help you to respond. Do you want to stop eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and eat from the tree of life? Do you want to learn to worship him in spirit and in truth? And then finally, do you want to learn to be self-disclosing and lift the veil in worship? If you can answer yes to any of these questions, or you just want ministry, please come and join me now at the front. You've been listening to Destination Church Belfast's weekly podcast. For more information on our church, you can find us on the web on www.destinationchurchbelfast.co.uk. Thank you for listening.